Good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning, and uh, if you're visiting with us, really glad that you're here. And if you visited with, with us before and you came back, we're really glad that you're back with us again today, too. So I was looking at my preaching calendar, and you know, I lay it out months at a time, and there was a hole this week, and I realized if I don't take a week off, I'm going to do 16 weeks straight, and I promise you, you do not want the stale meat that would be coming out of my head. with six. So I'm going to be taking next week off, which meant that I couldn't do a series between the series we just finished on marriage, the series we're going to do in uh, November, which meant that for a few weeks, I get to just talk about whatever I want to talk about. And actually, this morning, I want to talk about what Natter wanted to talk about after the worship night at Switchyard. He said, I think we really need to talk about worship because we just need to have a good theology of worship and, and talk about those things. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to talk about worship as a church. But even better than that, I'm not going to talk a lot. And all the people said, hallelujah, we're going to spend more time singing than we usually do. And I know some of you will love that. More of that, please. It'll be your favorite service. Oh, I remember that Sunday when David sat down and we got to sing. And I know some of you won't love that. And if that's you, come back next week. It'll be back to normal, whatever. Sing, teach, get out the door. But I just want to talk this morning about why we sing. To answer that question, why do we sing when we come together? I mean, it's what churches do, obviously. at Every church everywhere sings. But why? And if you aren't from a church background in particular, you come in here and it's a bunch of people and they stand when they're told and they sit when it's we're like little trained seals or something out here singing words on a screen and that's not normal behavior. That's not something you do really anywhere else except church. And then add on top of that, if you're a man, there's a really good chance that you're not a huge fan of this public singing thing. I mean, my generation of guys didn't grow up idolizing men who sang, right? Now, as a kid, not only were they my favorite, but it's really whatever you saw, the movies, the TV, my favorites were Westerns. Now, if you're under 40, a Western is a genre of movie they used to have with guys with hats and horses and lots of guns. They don't make them anymore, but, but in those days, you never saw Clint Eastwood in a musical, right? He wasn't roaming the untamed West. I'm looking for a tenor for my barbershop quartet. You know, that, that, was, that, that movie would have been called High Note Drifter. All right, you're looking. He didn't star in The Good, The Bad, and The Tone Deaf or the alto Josie Wales. Oh, come on, people. I worked hard on that. <sighs> okay, never mind. But when the gunslinger entered the saloon, the guy's playing the piano. What happens when the gunslinger walks in? The music stops because real men don't sing, right? This is an old quote, but when Mark Driscoll was preaching in, at a church in Seattle, he made a lot of waves for calling worship music, quote, weepy prom songs to a wussified Jesus, unquote. Well, that's an old quote, but an either, even older quote was from C.S. Lewis, the theologian from the 1950s, when he said hymns he called fifth-rate poems set to sixth-rate music. Now, there are lots of reasons, there are lots of opinions why worship music and singing together is awkward for some people. First of all, a lot of the songs are unfamiliar. Melodies and tunes and rhythms aren't like pop music in a lot of ways. 
They express things in ways we wouldn't normally say them. I mean, Chris Tomlin had a song where he says, I'm in love with the king and he makes my heart want to sing. And I don't talk that way to my wife, much less in public to somebody else. I mean, I do, but it's none of your business. Mark Driscoll said, those songs are saying the same lame things that don't touch the soul in, in a meaningful way. There's a tension around this for some people. Some people even wait until the singing is done to come into the service. Now, some churches resolve the tension by having really good, like concert quality music, lights, motion lights, full sound system Fog machines, the whole deal. So it's more like coming into a concert, which is more familiar, less weird for people. As a matter of fact, I saw one church that actually had to print a warning in their bulletin every week that said, the, if you have epileptic problems, the lights might cause seizures. All right, that's, that's a problem. Now, that's not Clear Creek. We value reverence, simplicity, authenticity. That's not a criticism of churches that do it the other way. That's just not who we are. That's not our culture. But Donald Miller, a Christian author, wrote... I have a confession. I don't connect with God by singing to him, not at all. He said, I know I'm nearly alone in this, which he's not, but it's true. I was finally able to admit this recently when I attended a church service that had perhaps the most talented worship team I've ever heard. I loved the music, but I loved it more for the music than the worship. As far as connecting with God goes, I wasn't feeling much of anything. Now, I posted that online, and the response was pretty harsh, pretty immediate, pretty ugly. There was lots of name-calling and condemnation on one side. How dare you say that? Then lots of church bashing on the other. It's just a show. Christian people online can be the worst sometimes. But I think the position that Don Miller took and the position his critics took both made the same mistake, and that was they made Don the focus of this conversation about worship. How should Don feel about worship? But one online commenter got it right. They said, singing in a corporate worship service isn't about connecting to God personally. It's about being the church and responding together to God's self-revelation. The worship industry, which is big, big business, makes a huge amount of money off of persuading everyone the worship is about cuddling up in God's soft, roomy lap and telling him how nice he is and how comfortable he makes you feel. But the point is the discipline of participating and responding together. So I want to talk for just a few minutes about why we sing when we come together, and then we'll put it into practice by singing some more. So first, we sing because God values worship. He values singing. Matter of fact, you might even say God's existence is marked by singing. The book of Job is thought to be the oldest piece of literature in our Bible. And in it, God describes the presence of singing at the creation of the world. In chapter 38, he talks about, he's, he's asking Job, where were you when I laid out, when I established the foundations of the world, when I measured it out and set the footings? And he says, when that happened, all this was happening while the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy. Creation was marked by singing. That's the oldest book in the Bible. The first book in the Bible, Genesis, describes the creation of the world. And some scholars think that the way that, it, that, that Genesis chapter 1 is structured, the cadence, the symmetry, that it was written 
as an epic song. It reveals the truth of God's power in creation in a memorable, powerful way because what sticks in your head more than a song? Well, in the book of Revelation, which is the last book written, the most recent book, so we have the oldest book, the first book, and the last book in the Bible, in Revelation, God's presence is characterized. His experience is immersed in a choir of heavenly creatures and millions of redeemed souls singing the eternal song, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, a song that we will sing in his presence one day. God values singing. He's surrounded by it. All throughout the Bible, God's people are encouraged to sing. They are observed in song. There are about 500 positive references to singing in the Bible. 50 times in the Psalms, which is a collection of, it's basically a hymnal for God's people, we're repeatedly commanded or invited to sing to the Lord. Psalm 47, 6 says, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises. It doesn't get much more clear than that. In the Old Testament, God's people were always singing. As they went into battle, he said, put the choir up front. It's not something you typically see in battle today. When they had a victory, God said, oh, there's a song for that. When they were in defeat, God said, there's a song for that. When they were mourning, there's a song for that. At the temple, he appointed a choir to sing 24 hours a day. God values singing. He had Moses teach the people a new song, and I'd love to know what that song was. I mean, I listen to Phil Wickham's songs. He's probably my favorite worship leader right now, and I think, man, that song's anointed. Carrie Job has written some songs, and I'm like, oh, that song's anointed. The B-Town Worship Collective, our own local people, those songs that they taught us, I'm like, those were anointed for this time. But the song God taught Moses, that that was anointed. I'd love to hear that. Any movie depicting the Old Testament really should be a musical. I mean, it's just woven all through the narrative. But in the New Testament, Jesus and his disciples sang a hymn at the Last Supper. Paul and Cyrus, Silas were in prison singing hymns of praise. Some of our best-known New Testament scriptures about Jesus, Philippians 2, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That was a hymn that the church sang to remind themselves of who Jesus is because songs stick in our head and they land in our heart and they remind us. Singing has always been an important part of the experience of God's people because it reflects the experience of God who delights in our songs. Well, secondly, we sing because God deserves worship. Now, worship is comprehensive. It's all of our lives, but specifically, God deserves our songs of praise because when we sing together, we are declaring and responding how God has revealed himself to us. Now, the best songs come from people who have experienced something and they write about what they know. For example, Taylor Swift is currently on tour. Any Swifties in the room? It's okay, you can admit it. <laughs> Thank you, John Smith, for being so enthusiastic. <laughs> I heard this week one statistic, so I looked it up this morning, and the U.S. Travel Administration, something USTA, estimates that her tour in the U.S. alone will generate $10 billion of economic impact this year. 
She, her, her economy is larger than like 50-some countries in the world. She's made this career on writing songs about breaking up. She'll get with somebody, stay with them for, I think her last relationship was like six years, and then they broke up. New songs to write, and, and that's, that's been her whole career, is writing songs about failed relationships. It could all be over if she would wake up one morning and write a song like, I look in the mirror and I had to admit, I might be a little high maintenance. You know, <laughs> and all, all of a sudden, it, it's over, right? But we write what we know. Well, the Bible songwriters write about what they've experienced, what they know about God. In Psalm 65, I just want you to notice all the things that this is what I've experienced and I can't help but write about it. I can't help but sing about it. Praise awaits you, our God in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. You who answer prayer, you've answered my prayers and I can't stop singing about it. To you all people will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, everybody been there? You forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those who you choose to bring near and live in your courts. God, I know what it is to be loved by you. We are filled with the good things of your house, the whole, your holy temple. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds. God, our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the turmoil of the nations. God, we've seen you do all these things. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. Have you seen what God has done? How could you not sing his praise, the psalmist says. We sing because God deserves our worship. It has nothing to do with how we feel about it. It has everything to do with his character, his actions, his revelation, his worthiness of our praise. And finally, we sing because God uses our songs to bless and strengthen the church. From desiring God, um, it says this, the power of your participation in congregational singing is not in the quality of your tone, but in your voice's testimony to God's faithfulness. Your participation in singing signifies to all around you that you love Jesus and you trust his gospel. By heartily singing, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You are exhorting those around you to lay hold of that precious truth. By singing of your sin and salvation, you are instructing your church, your spouse, your children, your friends, your neighbors in gospel truth. So singing is a communal act in which, I say this all the time, when, I'm, when my faith is weak, I can borrow from the faith of others. When I don't have words, I can borrow from the words of those who testify to God's goodness. We come together as individuals with different experiences, different hurts, different needs, different joys, different understandings of who God is and how he works. And so we have this collection of individuals with individual experiences who are called to function as one body. How do we do that? How do we... How do we undergo that transformation from individuals to a communal body? Well, God uses our singing to accomplish that. In Colossians 3, Paul wrote, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly 
as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. How? Through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. The songs we sing teach, admonish, encourage, build, strengthen one another. As you think, I'm not sure I feel that, but man, he believes it. She sings it with conviction. I'm going to borrow their faith. Now, I know for some of you, when you come to church, you can't wait to get here. You can't wait to celebrate because God has been so good in so many ways. You got the job. You got the girl. The kids are healthy. You have great friends, whatever. You can't wait to say, look what God has done for me. I can't wait to praise him. And God receives that gratitude, and he loves those songs of praise. But you know what songs please him even more? What songs are a fragrant offering to him? It's the songs we sing not because of all the good things in our lives, but the songs we sing even when we can't think of any good things in our lives. But because we trust, or because we believe, or because we want to believe that God is good, we say, I'm going to praise you anyway. Even if I haven't seen, even if I can't see right now what you're doing, God, I trust your heart. So again, from Desiring God, it says, when you don't feel like singing, when your soul is downcast and your faith is diminished, those are the times when your church needs your voice the most. The gospel is on full display in our weakness. When all is going well for you and life is sailing smoothly along, it's less surprising when you sing. But when life is falling apart and trials threaten your security, that is when your singing becomes a forceful testimony to the faithfulness of God. So I love that we sing songs of resolve that say, I will not let go because, God, you won't let go of me. We sing songs of hope. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation, what joy shall fill my heart. We sing songs that communicate truth about who God is and what God has done. We sing songs of repentance and confession and humility. We sing songs of desperation, crying out for God to deliver us. And we sing songs that lift up and exalt and declare Jesus as our Savior. And we need all of them. Because we are all of those things. Now maybe you don't like to sing. Maybe you don't sing well. Maybe you don't connect with God through singing. But God will still use your singing. He'll use our corporate declaration of his goodness, his majesty, his might, his worth, his beauty, his tender care, his salvation. He'll use all of those to grow and build and strengthen faith in all of us. So I'm going to invite the worship team to go ahead and come on up. And this morning, I think they're going to share among themselves, share with you reasons why some songs have become meaningful to them, how God has used those songs to minister to them in the season of their life. And we're going to sing those songs together this morning. But first, I want to go back to that C.S. Lewis quote about hymns being fifth-rate poetry set to sixth-rate music. and Because I've heard that quote for years. People say, yeah, even C.S. Lewis. Listen to the context in which he said it. So he moved from atheism to faith. 
he moved from a critic of the church to having to be part of a church. And at first he was like, I, I love Jesus and I love the truth of the gospel. I'm not sure about this group of people. But then he realized this group of people is going to be a big part of my journey with Jesus. And here's what he said. I disliked very much their hymns, which I considered to be fifth-rate poems set to sixth-rate music. But as I went on, I saw the great merit of it. I came up against different people of quite different outlooks and different education, and then gradually my conceit just began peeling off. I realized that the hymns, which were just sixth-rate music, he's being honest, were nevertheless being sung with devotion and benefit by an old saint in elastic side boots in the opposite pew. And then you realize that you aren't fit to clean those boots. It gets you out of your solitary conceit. It's not about me. So we don't sing because we like it, although I do. I was a worship leader for a long time. But I would contend we need it. Because singing is a reminder, I'm not the center of this thing. God is. And God values our worship. God deserves our worship. God uses our worship to build this community of faith to make us one body in him. So before we start singing, I just want to invite you to stand. And I'm going to read from Psalm 89, and then we'll go right into the rest of the service. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you.